Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Carbonite. Carbonite Online Backup is automatic and unlimited backup for your computer files with anytime, anywhere access. Try it today at Carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIP and get two bonus months with purchase. That's Carbonite.com with the offer code TWIP. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP8. This week on TWIP, a new website tells some photographers, well, they're not... A Pennsylvania photographer bans some Facebook bullies, and UK tube commuters get photographed without their permission. It's Monday, August 29th, 2011, and this is Twip. Welcome back to Twip, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show are Mr. Sill Arena and Mr. Tristan Hall. Hey, guys. Hey, Frederick. Hi. Hey, Tristan. Hey, it's it good going? to have you. Hey, just, just you know, full transparency here. This is our second go at recording this show. So the first time we tried to record it for the audience, you guys know this because you were there. The first time for the, the first time we tried to record this, I was on Maui. Uh, trying to do this over a Wi-Fi connection, and uh, I guess we're pushing the limits of Skype. And Tristan was starting to sound like a, a Cylon, and Syl was starting like Darth Vader or something. So. No, I thought you were, so, were going to say I started to sound actually lucid and insightful. Syl <laughs> actually had something <laughs> valuable to say. but <laughs> Okay, sorry. It's gone now. It's gone. So Tristan, what's going on down in uh, sunny South Africa? Um, not much. It's been a been a busy um, a busy week. We had the launch of the Sony Alpha A seventy seven, the sixty five, the NEX five N. Um, you know, all of that happening uh, on Thursday last week here in South Africa, um, and we were asked to come and help with the um, through our Alpha Tutorials uh, podcast that we started um, to kind of do some training for their dealers on the new cameras so they could get to grips with what was happening in in the new world of Alpha. Um, and yeah, it was just a week full of deadlines. So it was it was been busy busy week for us, but it's uh, been good as well. Very cool. So so, how's the new Sony Alpha? Is it uh, is it something that I should consider throwing all my Nikon gear and trash for and jumping into it? Definitely, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. it, it's let me go find a hefty it's got some bag. Fantastic it's fantastic technology in it. It really does. So. Yeah. So, in, in in all seriousness, where does it rank? I know you and I had a sort of an offline chat about this, but where do where does that camera rank in terms of the the prosumer and professional line of DSLRs? Should photographers give it a serious look, or you know, the main thing holding most me included photographers back is our investment in our gear and the need to keep shooting and not change the tires while while we're running the race. So yeah. what is what does Sony bring to the table that would make me want to change a, a tire while I'm driving? Well, I think first of all, for the the Sony users out there, this is the long-awaited replacement for the Alpha 700, which um, I mean was discontinued almost three years ago. So the, the Sony is one of the first companies I've known to discontinue a camera and not replace it with something for such a lengthy period of time, and it's been well worth the wait. Um, 
from other people jumping ship. Uh, it may not persuade you. I don't know that it's worth changing your investment of lenses and everything, although you would be buying into a system which has some really, really nice-sized gloss in it. Um, but I, I think the translucent mirror technology, this is the second evolution of it, and it has incredible potential in it. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to be testing a, a Canon 60D at the same time as I, well, the last two days that I had the 60D, I, I got this uh, Alpha A77 as well. And bearing in mind it was a pre-production sample, I was incredibly impressed. Um, the It uses what um, Sony are calling an XGA OLED viewfinder, electronic viewfinder, which is almost 3 million pixels in resolution. And it was such a nice viewfinder. I think I actually prefer it to an optical viewfinder, which I can't say was the case with the their first generation of translucent mirror cameras, the 33 and the 55. Um, so there's some great technology in there, 12 frames a second. Um, I think the biggest talking piece is it's a 24.3 megapixel APS-C size sensor. And... In, a pre, in the pre-production model, I can't show people pictures in that that we took with it, but um, I mean, the image quality was incredible, far better than I imagined. Um, I mean, put against the 60D at ISO 6400, I was surprisingly impressed by, by the image quality, and we've now got a model with the latest firmware on it, so we're going to be running some similar tests again to see what, it, what it's like, but I, I think the image quality is almost on par with their full-frame 24-megapixel camera. So, so Tristan, you mentioned, you mentioned there's a podcast that you guys you put together that runs people through this where where is that at it's alpha tutorials.co.za it's just a, a new place we've um, started a few episodes ago um, just showing people how to use the alpha a bit better and we also dive into stuff that applies to other you know more generic photographic um, discussions and that as well about aperture and shutter and those kind of things but we look specifically at how the alpha system thinks and and the benefits that it has so it's Very been good. quite exciting to see the response we've got even though it's just a, a few weeks old perfect great all right, and Mr. Silarina coming to us from sunny Paso Robles, California. So what's going on in the uh, in the grapevines over there? Well, it's been a crazy summer, you know, in terms of my travel and in terms of the grapevines. Um, I just got back from Maine where it was cool and lovely and wonderful, teaching a great speed lighting workshop there. And frankly, in Paso Robles, it's been cool and wonderful and lovely all summer, which has given the grape guys here some heartache. Um, so the grape crop is late, 2011 vintage will be quite interesting when they finally get it wrapped that's cool so i'm going to put you on the spot here um the uh workshops that you were running um when am i going to see another workshop from you i'm i'm excited and i want to be you know you did a david hobby uh workshop with i think uh joe mcnally was there as well when are we going to bring those two together again at one of your magical workshops so um fall's actually heating up for me workshop wise you'll be pleased to know and you can come as my guest if you want um, October 1st and 2nd in San Francisco, Speedlighters Intensive. Awesome. Um, middle of October, I've got two week-long workshops here in Paso Robles, um, which are detailed on PasoRobles.workshops.com. Those are both speedlighting workshops. And then I think this is really cool, and I'm glad you asked. Um, the folks over at Gulf Photo Plus have asked me to head over to Dubai in November. Mm. So um, I'm going to be missing Thanksgiving, it looks like, but I'll be teaching in Dubai at the GPP Photo Weekend, and I'm really excited about getting over to literally from Paso Robles. That's like on exactly the other side of the world. It's 11 time zones away. So uh, I'm trying to conspire with Tristan and a few others to find some workshop (laughs) opportunities 
uh, after Dubai so that rather than, you know, have to come all the way back, I can just keep going. I think you get some sort of t-shirt or something at the, <laughs> at the end of that. And I'm, I'm all about the t-shirts. You know what? I, I'd pay for a t-shirt with you, with a photo of you on it, sitting on top of a camel. That's, that's all I want to say. Okay. <laughs> Deal. Sil Arena on a cam on a camel holding a speed light. You gotta you gotta make that happen. I'll, I, you know, I will blog how to speed light a camel just for you. <laughs> that, see, that's a marketing title, <laughs> right? There. Sneak up on the camel. Here comes from, the next book from the side, not the back, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's a deal. All right, cool. All right, guys, let's jump into the news. We had a lot of interesting news to talk about today. Um, <clears throat> the first story, story was sent in by one of our listeners, Dieter Zakas, and he's um, he's talking about a uh, a website that showed up on the scene that is t its main goal is to tell newbie photographers um, or amateurs or people that are just coming into photography that think they're photographers that quote they are not photographers. In fact, the name of the site is "You Are Not a Photographer." So. Um, it's an interesting site, and you can look at it from two perspectives. There's one perspective of, you know, from a from a elitist, I'll, I'll say elitist photographer perspective of, hey, these people are they're wannabes. They're just jumping in. They get these DSLRs and they hang out their shingle. And they think they call themselves photographers, and they're mudding the the bathwater for the rest of us. And then on the other side, it, you know, taking a more sympathetic eye towards the, the new photographers, it's. Well, hey, you know, these, these people, they have just as right, much right to take photos as we do. And who's to say that their art is not art? And why call them out publicly, even if their names aren't used? Why call their work out publicly, publicly and drag it through the mud? So I want to find out where each of you guys stand on this issue, starting with you, Sil. You know, is it, is it right to tell a photographer he's not a photographer? No, it's, it, that, that's not right. Nor do I think, frankly, that's the point of the website. You know, I checked it out. Um, I think a lot of it's done tongue-in-cheek, although there is a, you know, an undercurrent of real message. And if you read their About Us blurb on the side of the screen, it says, hey, um, all of these images have actually come off of websites that claim to be photography business websites. So mm -hmm. perhaps the right title of the site should be You Are Not a Pro Photographer. Right, right. Um, and I think that's really the issue there putting up images and believe me some of these images are pretty pretty interesting um and you have to wonder if if you know who this person is perhaps there are no links all the identifying info has been blacked out um so other than your friends calling you up and saying hey you're on this website you'd likely never know that's the case uh, yeah. nor would you see a blip in traffic to your website um so I look at it both ways. You know, from a humor standpoint, it's kind of like uh, best photog ever on Twitter. Uh, occasionally, there's some really rip-roaring tweets coming out, of, coming out of that account. Um, and at the same time, I look at this site and I say, all right, you know, yeah, if this person... If this person calls themselves a pro, maybe they live in a market where there literally are no other pro shooters. Um, and maybe they haven't had an opportunity to learn. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Tristan? Is it right or wrong? You are not a photographer. I I'm, I must agree with Sylvan that there's some incredibly funny stuff on the site. Um, I, I do think, however, that um, I, I think I've got I'm going to look at it from a South African perspective. And in South Africa, we have a lot of, of photographers complaining about the fact that their market is being, uh, you know, corroded since digital. And and there's these people that are not professionals, you know, doing stuff and undercutting the market and that. But you know, for many many years the 
the industry has shunned away new people trying to get into the market. Um, when I tried to get into photography, it was, you know, ask for advice or for an opportunity to assist a photographer. And, you know, what are you thinking? Get out of this industry. You don't know what you're doing. Um, there's only room for so many people. And, and there's this almost arrogant attitude amongst a lot of the guys. And that, um, I think in some ways the market is the way it is because people didn't put their arms around the market and say to them, well, you know, this is the situation. This is what you should be charging. This is, you know, how much work it, it takes. This is the kind of standard you should have. And again, it also opens up the debate again as to what is a, a professional photographer because you'll often find the sensitive professional photographers are talking about it from an image quality point of view or, you know, people meeting certain rules and, and you know, having a certain standard within their work. Um, but if, you know, if we want to be define it as someone who's being paid for doing what they're doing, then, you know, if a person's getting paid to shoot bad photographs, they could still be defined as a professional photographer. It's their profession. And, and I think that's, um, you know, there's a balancing act that needs to come into place there. I, it's, it's no clear cut answer. I just don't think we should shoot people down. And as Sil pointed out, I mean, that these guys aren't highlighting who these photographers are. And, uh, less, but yeah, I think we do also need to look for a more integrated approach, particularly, as I say, from a South African point of view. I don't know the situation there, but it's, it's here is, there's a, a very div, definite divide between, you know, the established players and those who are looking to enter the market. Yeah. Um, you know the way the way I look at it, <clears throat> you know, the, just speaking from just what I've seen in trends. You know, people. And I, I speak a lot about when I when I do these talks. One of the pieces, one of the things that I bring up is photographers have that point of, hey, they've been bitten by this radioactive spider, and then they feel like they're a photographer, and they're like, hey, this is something I want to do. You know, I like photography. Mm -hmm. Photography is my passion, and hey, and everybody around me is telling me I'm good. You know, all my friends and relatives are telling me that I'm a good photographer and that I should go pro. No pros are telling them that. It's people that that may not have knowledge of what it takes to be a professional photographer are saying, hey, you have some sort of look or you have some sort of vision or you're able to make an exposure, John Doe. You should be a professional <laughs> photographer, you know. Uh, and John Doe, without any other input, says, hey, you know what? You're right. You know, and I, I just got laid off. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make a go of this. I'm going to set myself up a website. I'm going to, um, you know, hang out my show. I'm going to give him a PayPal account. I'm going to throw some gallery images up there and see if I can get some income. And then the next step, which solidifies that, I think, is they actually get work. People say, hey, you know, I don't know what a professional photographer is, so I'm going to hire this guy. He's in my hometown, like Zill said. He's in my hometown. His stuff doesn't look horrible. You know, it, it's better than what I could do, so I'm going to hire him. And then it just sort of self-perpetuates. So, Zill, how do you break that? You know, if, you're, if that person is in that cycle and they have this, this reality distortion field around them that says, hey, you're, you're a really good professional photographer. You're going to end up living in New York one day, you know, shooting gallery images and this sort of thing, when in reality your stuff is a notch above someone with a, you know, a disposable camera. How do you break that cycle and how, do you, how does that person actually become a professional photographer? Okay. Um, lots, lots of questions there. First off, uh, I think the question unasked is why become a professional photographer? A lot of folks say, hey, you know, I love making photographs. Therefore, I think I should earn my income from making photographs. And I really counsel people, look, you know, if you want to be a pro shooter, if you actually want to earn your paycheck, you got to be really certain that you really, really love this. And more importantly, 
that you're willing to pay the price that the industry and the world is going to extract from you. It's really, really hard and takes a long time to establish yourself as a pro shooter. Um, so that said, you've just got to be prepared for the long haul and make that commitment. There is no shame. I mean, in being an amateur, at the core of what amateur means, it's somebody who does something for the pure love of doing it. Yep. And being a pro versus being an amateur is absolutely no measure of your skill as a photographer. It is no measure of your impact on the world of photography. Um, so that said, a lot of people think, oh, i got to be a pro because somehow that's a merit badge that will make me a better photographer. And as a guy who's taught all kinds of emerging pros and all kinds of, of amateurs in my workshops over the last several years, i got to say, you know, a handful of the best shooters I can think of all have day jobs and shoot for the pure love of it. Yeah. Um, and there's something to be said about that. It keeps, keeps the creative juices flowing when they can shoot when they want to rather than when they have to. And the other thing to remember about being a pro is that it is first and foremost a business. And like any other business, you've got to be prepared and able to deal with all of the admin sort of thing, all of the record keeping, the financial stuff, the banking stuff, the licensing things. And when you look at it in reality and say, gosh, you know, a whole lot of pro shooters um, realize, man, I'm spending way more time as a business owner than I am behind the camera. And I'm not sure that was the deal I thought I was signing up for. So that said, if you're out there and you're thinking, gosh, maybe I would like to be a pro shooter, you've got to do a reality check about, you know, the hows and whys of the industry. And one of the great resources, and Tristan, anybody around the world can literally get to this site um, American Society of Media Photographers, ASMP.org, has free tutorials on the photo industry and on licensing and on copyright. It's an amazing free resource, and ASMP, to their credit, has put a ton of info, literally hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of information, out in the public domain for free. You do not have to be a member of ASMP to gain access to the site and to look at a lot of these tutorials and really come up to speed they did it as an outreach program to the industry and they have great educational programs as well Um, a series they ran this year they run it like every two or three years called strictly business that talks about how do you price how do you license and all of these things that are relatively hard to understand about the world of photography yeah Um, yeah it's uh it's, it's funny you mentioned copyright i sat in on a talk um, at the the Maui Photo Festival that um, Jack Resnicki was running, and it was all about copyright as it pertains to photographers and do's and don'ts and debunking myths and that sort of thing. And he he actually um, has a has a brand new book out which I am buying. In fact, he offered to give me one. I said, No, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy this book because it's it's a book that needs to be in every amateur or professional photographer's arsenal, and it talks about how to protect your work how easy it is to protect your work and how lucrative it can be if you protect your work and you're wronged or copy wronged, as he says, you know, and, um, and how hard it can be to protect your work if you, if you don't copyright it and someone uses it without your permission. But so you bring, you bring up a good point, like things like that, you know, it's things, little things like that, little nuances and tangents in the world of phot- professional photography that, amateurs may not be aware of that you're absolutely right joining associations like asmp or you know name your other acronyms of Mm -hmm. organizations that they can they can join to get knowledgeable about this stuff that's where they should start right now tristan tristan you know to take that last point 
and and blow it out a little bit. You know, the the pieces around photography, other than f stops and shutter speeds and composition and all this magic stuff, the the glamour or art side of photography. When you abstract that away. And you go in and you look at, okay, it's a business now, you know, the boring business. Now I have to, not only am I a photographer, but I'm now a business person and I have to file taxes and all this magic stuff or this not so magical stuff about the business. You know, from your perspective, when you, when you are looking at your work or your, your publishing business as a business, where, like, how would you advise photographers to start to get knowledgeable about the nuts and bolts pieces of business? Yeah, I think that the best thing that you can do is if if you ask around with some of your friends and and that you are more than likely to find somebody who has um, or is in business for themselves. And the best place to start, first of all, is is with someone that you know and get to get to know the kind of stuff that they're involved in. Um, an incredible resource for a photographer looking to going into business, I found as being. Um, uh, David DeShimon's book, Vision Mongers, because he kind of puts everything into perspective for you and helps you to see where it is that, that you can go, looks at marketing strategies and, and social media and all of those kind of things, which I think are, are incredibly important to, to the photographer. I think what you've got to decide is if you're going to go this route, you've got to be aware that this is your, your chances of success are based, you know, incredibly, um, on, the amount of time and effort you're going to put into effectively running your business. Um, Something else that I could suggest is get a good accountant. <laughs> start start off at the beginning and get yourself a good accountant because you just the, – the last thing you want to do is get into tax trouble. So make sure that you've got yourself a good accountant and, and that you keep a good record of things um, right from the beginning because at the end of the day, you can spend a whole lot of time you know, making it through and thinking that you, you're doing great. And uh, when you actually come and sit down to, to doing the proper profit and loss and everything like that, you're going to realize, oh, wait a minute, I actually haven't made any money this year. Um, you know, and so it's, it's important to, to have somebody there who's, you know, not blinded by the passion in a way and can tell you, well, you know what, you, you actually aren't making any money and you need to relook at how you're going to do things or what you're charging or whatever the case is. Um, but those, those I think would be very, you know, the very strong points is to look at those things and, and, you know, as Sol said, don't, don't expect um, that you're going to shoot a lot as a, as a professional photographer, um, you know, and particularly shooting the kind of things you do. And all the interviews we've done with professional photographers, um, they've all stressed in, in our magazine the need to have a personal project and to do work that is for yourself, that keeps you inspired and keeps you motivated. Um, I thought by running a photographic magazine, I'd get to, to shoot a lot more for myself. And I can tell you that <laughs> anytime I take photographs is when I'm testing the camera and, and it's inevitably you know testing the camera not actually shooting what i want to do so don't don't get caught in the trap to think that you know um going to be having more time to shoot and doing the things that you want to do um you've got a there's very few photographers that i've found that get to shoot what they want in the way they want and have their clients be happy about it you know there's there's always going to be particularly in weddings for example where there's a lot of trends and things going on. If you enjoy shooting black and white photography, try and, and, you know, make that your passion and stay that place. Don't, don't, you know, have, you're going to have 10 people knocking on the door and saying, well, we don't want to hire you because you shoot color, but if you shoot color as well, we'll do it. And, and your heart's not in there, you know, try and work towards that point. And if, 
if you can't do it because of you know do what drives you and you're passionate about then maybe you need to look at rather sticking to to something that's a nine to five and and allows you to pursue what you're passionate about um, because you don't want to kill that passion Sil, how do you stay inspired? Uh, what, what, what kind of self-projects do you give Sil Arena to keep your, keep your blade sharp? Well, I'm, I'm self-admittedly just obsessed with light. Um, so how do I keep myself inspired? I keep looking. And, and truly, every morning, I'm blessed to live on this little hilltop out in the, the vineyards west of Paso Robles. Every morning, there is amazing light right outside my bedroom window. And every morning, it's different. And every morning, I get up. And I start my day just by looking at light. So for me, to a certain degree, Frederick, it's not even about pushing a shutter button. It's just about continuing to stay obsessed with light and to always be looking and studying light. Now, that said, of late, I've been uh, running around the world with Canon's little S95 camera in my pocket. It shoots JPEG and RAW about the size of a deck of cards, so it's easy to carry. So I've in the last couple of months since I got it, I've been shooting a lot more images of light, just things I see that are beautiful. And for me, they're snapshots. They're, they're not great photographs by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but that, for me, continues to get the creative juices flowing. If you're obsessed with race cars or you're obsessed with food or whatever you're obsessed with, I think you have to let your guard down and say, okay, I'm just going to go out here and do rather than going out here and trying to think and then do. Just make those mm-hmm. photographs of the things that inspire you. Yeah, get some get some mileage on that shutter finger, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So one one thing that I want to leave off on is a is a book that uh, I think folks should read that sort of goes in exactly to what we're talking about in this. You are not a photography photographer vein, and it's called the E Myth Revisited. The E Myth Revisited. It's by, the author's name is Michael E Gerber. And one of the premises in the book, it's a, it's a business book, you know, so, you know, you're not going to find out about composition, shutter speeds and speed of light and all that stuff in here. But what you will find out about is some of the, the, the traps that, that entrepreneurs, the E and E myth, um, get trapped in. And that's, Hey, I am a carpenter and I'm working for this carpentry business and I hate my boss and I know my job better than he does. So I'm going to strike out and start my own carpentry business and I can do carpentry like I like it, you know, and I can do whatever I want to do and I call the shots. Then they do that and suddenly realize that they're no longer a carpenter. They are now a business owner. And carpentry is a small percentage of their overall day-to-day job. So then they hate it. And they, they're they in a worse position than they were before because the, all that complexity of running a business is abstracted away when you're an employee. When you become the boss, now you have to take care of that. And that translates over to photographers. I think it's even more pronounced because as photographers, you take on a business or you become a business. Now your passion, you're real, you're an artist, right? And you can't do it. <laughs> you have to do all this other stuff. Now you're tweeting, you're Facebooking, you're Google Plusing, you're podcasting, you're g- creating iPhone apps, you're speaking, you're doing all this other stuff. And a very small sliver of what you get to do as a pro photographer is actually photography, right? So, you know, Tristan, that's that's kind of what you slid into, right, with mm-hmm. uh with becoming a book with a, a magazine publisher. Yeah, I can imagine it's probably mm-hmm. even more pronounced, correct? Yeah, it's um I, I, and and there isn't the, you know, I I've got to the point now where I'm juggling too many things um and it it starts to impact on the way that you you work effectively. So you do, you need to 
And unfortunately, photography is not a place where you can have a business partner that you can hand over, you know, the business side to to the same degree um, that you can with a business where there's, you know, set procedures and structures because you are the business. So, you know, you can have a personal assistant to help you with your admin and, and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, um, you can't share the load in the same way. It's one thing if you've got a studio um, and you, you're selling the studio as the brand. But if you are your brand, then... Um, you don't have that luxury, and so you need to be aware of that and take into consideration that that is going to impact on the way that you work. Um, you know, as I say, I'm I'm in a situation now where I don't get to shoot as I thought I would. I'm writing articles, but I'm meant to be, you know, building relationships with with advertisers and brands and and following up on deadlines, and it's it becomes an incredibly overwhelming time and. You, you need to declutter and focus on what you need to do and what you do best. And as a photographer, as a professional photographer, I think it's, it's harder than many other industries because you can't offload a lot of that responsibility. It's, it's squarely on you. Yeah. Now, so, so you know, what a, I'm looking at sort of from the outsider, of course, looking in the world of Silarena, and you seem to have many different facets to what you're doing. Like we mentioned before on the show, you're, you're, putting together these these awesome workshops you write books you know you publish books um you're a photographer of course and you're speaking all this stuff the and the question is in today's age is it possible to be just a photographer or do photographers need to aim to be diversified like silarina and have multiple revenue streams coming in in order to be successful um i think i think the answer is yes to both sides of that equation here's what i mean by that if um, you know, if I had hauled off to New York 25 years ago when I started down this path, and established myself in New York or LA, you know, or any of the major media centers, um, I think that if you work really hard and you're smart and you're talented and you're you're persistent, and you don't mind sleeping on the floor for a while, um, you'll eventually make it, and you can be basically just a photographer. Keeping in mind that being, quote, just a photographer really means being a small business owner Mm -hmm. who happens to make images as their product um, or as their service. Where I choose to live, I mean, you know, Central Coast of California is a wonderful place to live, but Paso Robles is by no stretch of the imagination even a small media center. Um, Mm -hmm. So for years, yeah, I've had to travel um, in order to both shoot and uh, to teach. So um, for me, that's just part of the, the lifestyle in Paso Robles. I mean, the boys love it here, so we're not moving anywhere, and I'll go where I need to to support the family. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like what uh, Timothy Ferris in the four-hour work week termed lifestyle design. You know, you, you kind of design what, what Sil Arena is and where, what's the ideal place for Sil to live and what he wants out of life, which is not necessarily what Tristan Hall may want out of life. Right. Um, and then you build the mechanisms around that to make that thing happen, right? And which is what you did. So right. awesome. Although my watch is broken because I work way more than four hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I should break my watch and I wouldn't notice. I don't know. You should read that book, Four Hour Work Week. Look at that. Yeah. You'll be yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, I'll add it to the top of my really long reading. I've already got the email in order right now. So Oh, very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, it's a great book. You'll love it. All right, guys, let's move on from this. Uh, this next story, we just want, I just wanted to touch on this one. It's about Twitter. Um, I don't know if they're late to the game or if they are innovating here, but they've launched 
user profiles with image galleries attached to them. Now, I know you guys have had a chance to look at this. Um, is this is this Twitter trying to combat the folks like Instagram and you know these other photo sharing services that have come on, or is this, is this Twitter trying to to out flicker flicker or what? What do you what do you think, Tristan? I think a picture says uh, speaks a thousand words, and 140 characters just isn't long enough sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I think I think it's it's a great move from their side. Um, how it gets implemented and integrated into mobile apps is going to be the the question because I don't access Twitter on on through my browser ever these days. Um, you know, so that that is something they're going to need to to look and see how that moves forward, but. Um, uh, I think it's it's quite an interesting move because sometimes you know you just you can't sometimes you just can't share something in 140 characters and you know a picture does a, a really great job today our little our two year old son's been um, been quite ill and and he uh, we the house suddenly went quiet and we we went to go and look for him and we found him you know sitting on his couch on the chair in his room with his dummy and and in a sitting position had fallen asleep on the armrest of the chair. Um, <laughs> and, and it was a great photograph. And I could take that picture and share it with people. I, to try and explain that in 140 characters just doesn't work so well. So, um, right. Yeah, it's a case of the right know, tool for the right job, right? So I think, Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's quite a, an interesting way. I, just another point on that is I often, you know, with our Twitter accounts, find people following us that um, kind of want to see what, what kind of photographs these people do and are they people you'd like to contact for a portfolio in the magazine or, or, or something like that. Um, and, you know, that makes a quick and easy way to be able to to get a general idea of who this person is and a feel for who they are and, and hopefully a feel if they're photographers for the kind of work they they do. So that that's a great benefit from, from a personal point of view that I can see for that we could use it. Um, but it's going to – I mean considering most people access Twitter through through mobile phones and that, um, I'm not sure how well it's going to work out for them there. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Sil? Do, do you care about this? Is is having image galleries with your Twitter profile important to you or, or you know, in other words, is, is having this functionality in Twitter uh, going to make you a better photographer or a better business person? Um. It's not going to make me a better photographer or a bus- better business person, but I'll certainly use it. I'm glad it's coming around. I mean, I love Twitter. You know, I I think that my attention span is about 140 characters. You know, at this point in my life, um, and getting shorter and yeah, shorter. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 definitely trying to you know economize. No, I'm I, I'm excited. I I occasionally put images up. Um, but the fact that now I can like say, oh yeah, this is going to become a gallery and somebody could click on it. So when those moments, when I see beautiful light, um, and I'm making these snapshots, yeah, I'll be more inclined to share them. I think I'm going to have to get one of those iFi cards so I can get the images out of my S95 and into my laptop so I can, you know, tweet them. Yeah. Uh, cause the camera on my mm-hmm. Android phone just stinks, um, but anyway, so that's why I don't I don't share those photos. Maybe I should just wipe the sludge off the lens. But um, anyway, no, I, I'm excited about this, and I would love it. Like I use Twilk on my um, on my Twitter page, which puts the little avatars of of people I follow up there. Um, and I would love it if there's a way that Twitter says, "Oh, the background, your wallpaper on your Twitter page can become your Twitter Pix gallery." 
Um, so if you guys at Twitter are actually listening, um, do that for me, would you? And I'll give you a photograph of me on a camel when it's done. Roll that, roll that into the next release. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys, before we continue, I want to um, acknowledge our, one of our sponsors. And this episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Carbonite. And when you think about that document you just worked on for hours or important files you downloaded today, where are they backed up? You know, are they, are they on-site? Are they off-site? Are they away from Hurricane Irene? Are they, <laughs> are they you know, on your computer? You know, are they, what, anything can happen is the point. If they're sitting on the planet, there, anything can happen to them. Um, if they're not on your computer or if they're not local, as they say, then typically you have another line of defense. Um, and that's where Carbonite comes in. Carbonite um, allows your files to be automatically backed up whenever your computer is connected to the Internet. So you say, hey, I want this folder or this directory or this set of directories backed up to the cloud. Um, and then after you have a computer disaster or a natural disaster, whatever, you can restore those files back after you you know, dry out your computer or whatever. You can restore the files back to your computer and get back to work. Whereas if you didn't have that backup and you say you had two hard drives sitting on your desktop and mirroring each other and you say, hey, I'm safe because I have a backup of my, my primary files, then they're both gone. You, know, you go on a trip and someone breaks into your house and they take mm-hmm. your stuff away, you're in trouble if you don't have your files somewhere else. And it happens more often than not. So using a service like like Carbonite, you can access those files, the backed up files remotely, you know, say again, say using the example of some sort of natural disaster and you're displaced, you're away from your home, you know your computer may have been compromised, you can access those files from an iPhone, a iPad, any smartphone, you know, using their free application or web browser, you can get to those or you go buy another computer while you're staying at your aunt's house on dry land and restore everything to that computer and keep working. You know, you have all your files. Now, of course, all this is, you know, time dependent because, you know, it's going to take time for the data to get from the cloud down to your computer. But with them, they have other options to allow you to, you know, to get even uh, get around that. So I would definitely Definitely, um, if you don't have a backup solution, a cloud-based backup solution, consider Carbonite as a uh, as to you know to fill that gap. And they've got unlimited backup with any time, anywhere access, and they start at fifty-nine bucks a year. And you can start a free trial with uh, with two bonus months if you decide to buy it. Just go over to Carbonite.com, use the offer code TWIP. That's TWIP, and you'll get two bonus months. If you decide to buy it, that's carbonite.com with the offer code, offer code TWIP. And that's, uh, you know, get it, get it today. Anyway, um, I wanted to move on and chat about some more social media stuff. The next thing up is Facebook. And, you know, it's particularly Syl. Syl, I wanted to chat with you about this because you've, you've had some run-ins with people online doing some crazy things that you've had to, you know, bring the hammer down yep. on. Yep. Um, and in this this particular story, this is about a photographer who refused to take portraits of some Facebook bullies. And um, so, why don't you take us through it? You you know the story. What happened yeah, here? So, and- so a Pennsylvania photographer, I'm Jennifer McKendrick, um, basically had uh, you know this time of year for portrait shooters can be a busy time of year shooting senior portraits. And she discovered that um, some of the students that had made appointments with her had set up a Facebook page to bully people. 
And um, so in a sense, she got incensed and said, you know, I'm not going to make photographs of people like this because the photographs I make of these people will ultimately represent who I am as a photographer. So she emailed the students. She emailed uh, the parents of the students and she attached screen grabs from this bullying page and said, I'm I'm unilaterally canceling. I will not make your photographs. Um, for this purpose. And I have to say, I totally applaud what she did. Um, bullying is, is a huge issue. And I became very intimately involved in a project this summer when I was asked to be the director of photography on the shoot uh, of a shooting of a public service announcement, a PSA, basically a freebie TV commercial. So um, we went into the Boys and Girls Club here and we interviewed the kids about bullying and what goes on. And my eyes just kind of opened wider than I'd ever imagined. Then I went and visited with the principal of the school that we'd be shooting these pieces in. And I talked with him about bullying. So, um, you know, one of the things about bullying is that bullies don't want to be identified as bullies. They don't want to be called out. There's, you know, complex reasons that they do these things and put other people down and, you know, uh, ridicule them. Self-esteem is one of them, right? And, but man, you know, they absolutely do not want to be called out as a bully. So I totally, you know, applaud this photographer for saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to make your senior portraits. Um, and I think much beyond that, though, you, you can't, you know, these are kids. I mean, kids are kids, but that doesn't excuse when they're just downright cruel in a public forum like a Facebook page that was created specifically to make fun of their classmates. Yeah. Yeah, what about you, Tristan? Where do you fall on this? Is this photographer in the right for, for drawing the line and saying, I'm not going to take pictures of bullies and associate my name with them? Um, I, 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 get, well, I also take my hat off to, I think she, she did a, a, a very positive thing in terms of taking that stand. I do think there will always be those who are going to look at it negatively and say, well, you know, can she maintain that kind of a, a precedent and, and, and so forth. But I think it was, um, I think it was a commendable move from from her side, um, and I, I do think that as photographers we have an opportunity, um, you know, to to communicate things in in a powerful way using images and that. And um, this was a, a more a demonstration in 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 a way. But I think we need to always there needs to be a cause for which we recognise for and that we stand up for and that we. Um, you know, have the principles to to remain firm to the things we believe in, uh, regardless of of the situations that may arise from it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a, it was a great move on her part. I definitely commend her for for doing it. Yeah, it's it's interesting how the tentacles of Facebook reach in all directions, you know, and and have repercussions. What you post online is, and I guess these bullies are learning that is not in a vacuum, and everyone sees it, and it's an action reaction kind of thing. I think they're experiencing the reaction. Now, you know, the other the other piece of this, you know, it's it's an interesting story, but for the people that the the other side, you know, the people the bullies, let's say. If Jennifer McKendrick, who's the the photographer out of Pennsylvania, says, "Hey, I'm not going to take pictures of you because you know A, B, and C; these are the we- the reasons," it's the, you know presumably there are other photographers in Pennsylvania, so she they could just go to someone else. So she's taking a personal stand, which is not necessarily necessarily going to impact their ability to get photos. So it's kind of like a, in my opinion, it's like you know throwing a pebble in the ocean. You know, okay, it made a ripple. 
and now it's gone. They're now they're going to go on and do their own thing. Now, so is that's you know, am I missing something here? They could go just go to they could go to Silarina, or maybe not Silarina. They could go to. <laughs> Not they today, could go so- they can't. <laughs> Not today. Uh, they could go I'll, somewhere else and get photos yeah, done, I'll right? I'll do a Jill Greenberg, you know, I'll make the John McCain portraits that, uh, <laughs> you know, that whole story. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah, it's, sure, there's other photographers, and I have no doubt that, uh, and these kids absolutely, I hope, I, two of them apologized, parents apologized. Um, you know, they recognize, and we all, we all deserve multiple shots at redemption. Um, does that mean that uh, Jennifer should not have done what she did because it's like, are you stopping anything other? No, it's like we all as individuals, we have to take a stand. Even if we know that throwing that pebble in the ocean will not change anything, at least you did what you could. And I think more often than not, people choose to not do anything because they say, oh, it's not going to make a difference. Well, gosh, you know, in a lot of ways, photography be damned. It's, 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 you know, everything. Do what you can to make a difference. And mm. don't you know, every once in a while, two or three or four people are going to be throwing pebbles in by your sides. And pretty soon that little ripple becomes a tidal wave of change somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this, this completely relates, but when, I'm, when I think about when I see this kind of story, I think about, yeah, this one was right. Yeah, clearly, we're all in agreement that, yeah, she was, Jennifer was in the, in the, in the right and she you know we applaud her for taking the stand but what about if there was a photographer who decided that they didn't want to take pictures of a certain religious group you know for their own personal reasons or a certain racial group or certain group of people that were oriented sexually in a different way you know what what if they they did that and that story came on would we feel the same way you know, would would you feel that would you be able to make those same statements still that, hey, they're taking a stand for their personal beliefs because they are right. It's their personal beliefs. Yeah. Would that would that still stand? I think so. As uncomfortable as that makes me say, you know, to, to hear myself say it. Yeah. I mean, if, if those are their beliefs, there there are people in the world that I guess if they came to me, I would say I'm not going to take this gig. Um you know, people whose views are so extreme or whose actions have been so extreme, I, I would say, no, I'm not going to do that. So if I know in my heart of hearts that I would say no to somebody on some extreme example, I don't know how I could finger somebody else out and say, you're wrong for not. But I also, at the same time, Frederick, sincerely believe it's also a matter of how it's done. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of saying the, the actual act of saying, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. So I can say, I'm not going to do this. And that's kind of... and. You know, I'm booked or whatever. I don't do this kind of work. And and that's it. Or you can just be a total jerk about how you choose to say, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. And so I think to a large degree, it gets down to how that message is delivered. Yeah. What about you, Tristan? I mean, you're you're coming out of a hotbed, you know, Johannesburg, South Africa, um, where a lot of this stuff is still boiling up in terms of, you know, this, this sort of profiling stuff. Where where do you fall on being, you know, the photographer being able to say, hey, I'm not going to take a picture of you because of X, Y, and Z, and that's my personal stance, you know, live with it or not. Should, is it, there's no argument that the photographers are in the right to do that. You know, you control when you, when you click that shutter finger yeah. and where you aim the camera, but morally, you know, where do you fall on that? Is it, is it the right thing or wrong? I... <laughs> It's it's a difficult situation. I I tend to agree with Sol in that um, you know it depends on the way in which it's done. Um, I I take my hat off to people who, in a world where 
so many people just tend to go with the flow to avoid contention. Mm-hmm. Um, people stand up to, to, you know, to their principles and to their morals. Um, whether I w- agree sometimes with, with what they say, um, that's, that's a personal thing. And I, I don't, I, I could, you know, commend somebody for standing up for, for, for what they believe in, but at the same time, not necessarily agree that what they believe in is, is right necessarily. Um, yeah. I think, I think there's also, you know, situations where it, it becomes a touchy ground when it's, it's issues of belief, um, you know, and rather than, you know, something like in South Africa where you have a constitution that kind of governs human rights and, and such, um, such things, I think you, you need to be a rather, hard-headed person to kind of still after all that we've gone through in this country decide to to kind of go against the the, the grain and and what we've has been fought for and blood spilt for um you know and say you're not going to photograph a particular race because of your you know, whatever reasons from the past um but i do think i do think that people need to be commended when they make a stand and they're prepared to to suffer the backlash of making such a, a stand um, you know, hopefully, if it's done in the right way, there shouldn't be any negative or hard feelings. Um, but I, I, I do think that you know you can, uh, personally, you can also not agree with the person's point of view, but still, still admire the fact that they they take a stand. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it in, does. in our yeah. magazine, we've we've done. You know, with our magazine, there have been portfolios that we've received where photographers specialize in a particular um, genre of photography. And, you know, while we acknowledge the, the importance of that genre or the desire people may have within that genre, we won't publish their, their portfolio because it doesn't appeal to the, the – or it doesn't meet the standards we've set and the criteria for our publication to meet the broader audience that, that we um, are trying to meet. And so, yeah, there's some, some occasions where we've had to make that stand and – and, and um, you know, we've hopefully done it in a way that we haven't offended those photographers. Um, and it's not like we're getting that's happening on a on a, a daily or monthly basis. We've kind of um, our mission statement is out there, and people know what we're about, and so we don't receive many of those kind of um, portfolios which we would need to decline. Um, but you know, there is definitely occasions where a person needs to make that stand and and be prepared to take whatever backlash comes with it and and as i say people may not always agree with the our point of view um but it's certainly uh you know a point of view we'd hope that they would respect the fact that we we hold true to that point of view and there's other people that may be open to the kind of work they do yeah i think the whole thing is is interesting and i think it goes into the whole magic of being a photographer right right you know the the positives and the negatives all mixed together like no other profession that i i can think of where you have Mm. these political sort of discussions going on about what you should and shouldn't shoot what you can shoot you've got technology you've got art you've got science you've got physics all this stuff mixed in together into one into one career field, you know. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of what makes photography magical to me. Here's another another story that we'll go through quickly. Is um, this one is from listener Alan Stitt, um, and basically it's about a BBC article that there's this this site, a UK website called TubeCrush.net that allows riders of the Tube, which is a subway system in the UK, to snap 
and upload photos of fellow passengers so their behavior or fashion sense can be critiqued by the masses. So <laughs> this goes to copyright, to in my opinion, and, and invasions of, invasion of privacy. So you can guess where I stand on this. You know, I don't want people taking pictures of me and what I chose to wear, wear that day and uploading it to some random website so people can heckle me, you know, whether or not they know who I am. So I don't know. Sil, is, is this okay? Is it okay for people to take pictures of you in public and put them online? Sure. You know, especially when I'm on the back of a camel, Frederick. Um, <laughs> if you just tuned in, go back to the beginning of the show. You'll understand what that means. So I looked at TubeCrush.net, um, and I looked at its uh, recently launched U.S. site, SubwayCrush.net. Yep. Um, I didn't see an image there that I thought was worthy of looking at. Um, all the images are of men. Um, those are the guidelines and of the site. Um, and you know, there's snarky comments about their muscles and what they're wearing and this and that. And it's kind of, frankly, I just sat there and shrugged my shoulders. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I think crush has a first, I thought, Oh, it's like the crush of riding the subway or riding the tube with people crowded around you. No, it's like a high school crush. Yeah. It's, it's like puppy love. Um, so, but yeah, copyright it, wise, you're you're familiar with the copyright, clearly, right? And what what is it? Is it okay legally for you, for me to take a picture of you and then put it online? If I'm in a public space, yeah, actually, it is. And I don't, you know, I don't know. Ask Jack whether whether <laughs> subways yeah. are public. I feel like he's going to say no. I, I don't know. We, we, yeah. I'm going to get him on the show and talk to him about this. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to visit with Jack. Hint, hint. Um, I don't know. You know, it's. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, can you, t- you know, you're walking down the sidewalk. Somebody takes a picture of you. Can they put that up on? That's to my mind. I, I mean, I, they're making a photograph of me. They're not reproducing me as a piece of intellectual property, which is really what copyright speaks to. So, um, if I'm in the public domain and they make my photograph, I really don't know what I can do to stop them. Um, from publishing that photograph, not that anybody would ever care, you know, about a photograph of me. Certainly, as a you know, fashionista, it, they're they're not going to be making photographs of Silarina on the tube. Uh, um, I don't know. What, what about this? Still, what if we? In, in Tristan, I want to get your your take on this too. But so, what if we um, we we change the perspective a little bit and say someone on the site took a picture of you, um, and or someone took a picture of you, uploaded it to the site, and then. Uh, put advertising around it, you know, for different phot- photography yeah, products. For, for Nikon cameras. For Nikon cameras and Nikon speed lights yeah, and, and that you know, sort of thing. Um, is it still okay? No, there, but that clearly crosses the boundary, I think, in terms of they've, they've created an ad that through my presence has an implied relationship that doesn't exist. Um, and clearly, if it's an ad, they need a model release. If it's an editorial piece, you know, if it's a photograph of me standing in front of, um, you know, Joe McNally with a bunch of Nikon guys next to him and Nikon signage, uh, you know, that's not a big deal. But if they're really implying, hey, this is ad that Silarina shoots Nikon when in fact I shoot Canon, yeah, I guess, you know, that's that's not right. Um, but that's a different issue. I mean, and Tube Crush and Subway Crush are really about... Um, it's almost like a voyeuristic dating service, you know, go steal photographs of gorgeous looking guys, um, while they're not looking and post them online and make a few snarky comments about their, their dress and their muscles. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Tristan? Is this, is this okay? If you appeared on this site, would you be flattered or would you be pissed? 
Um, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in two minds. I would hope nobody bothers to take photographs of me, but it, it does, um, it does raise certain questions. And look, uh, the thing around um, privacy and that is also uh, a debate which is being hotly contested. I mean, around the world, it's, it's an issue at the moment. We had an article recently by someone um, on photo comment where they they discussed this from a South African perspective, and it has generated a huge amount of conversation um, on on Facebook and and that around certain of the the, the, the legal issues of it. Uh, in South Africa, the constitution is still very young, so it um, you know kind of opens up uh, a huge amount of room for debate because there haven't been any judges or rulings on that set a precedent for this kind of thing you know the constitution says that you have a right to privacy and and a person could easily argue that 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 right is um you know being infringed upon by something like this I have to throw this out here, though. I mean, I must be honest. I haven't had an opportunity to go into tube crash into too much um, detail. But, I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware of the, the, the site, the Satirialist, um, where the, the photographer there, you know, documents uh, fashion and that on the streets. And, and it's an incredibly popular site. And one kind of wonders, well, I mean, there's a site which has an incredibly big following and, and you know, a lot of people uh, know about it. And in in fashion circles and that, and you kind of wonder how does it differ from from something like this? Um, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a difficult one. Um, I, I would certainly hope so that nobody's taking photographs of me on on now recently launched uh, car train. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, although I was aware on the opening grand opening that we we got used as models by a press photographer, but at least they didn't have the camera focused on on my face. It was okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I'm going to give a quick nod to another one of our sponsors. Um, This show is also brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. Uh, For example, some of the features inside of Squarespace.com are they've got an extremely easy-to-use UI for creating and managing your website or blog. They're optimized for both newbies and people who understand what the acronym CSS means. They've got hundreds of templates to choose from that you can use as starting points to tweak to your own desires. You've got iPhone and iPad apps for updating your blog from wherever you happen to be. They've got 24-7 support. It goes on and on and on. They've got Flickr integration, Twitter, social media buttons that let you connect your visitors to uh, you know to Facebook and Twitter they've got Google Maps that you can embed in your pages and they're of course hosted on a robust cloud cloud architecture so your site will always be up um, no matter what so that's uh, you know the, the background of this whole thing is hosting your website in the cloud per se means that you don't have to worry about servers and all that magic you just log in you get to a web browser and log in and try it out. Now, if you'd like to try it out and get your free trial of Squarespace.com, um, just head over to Squarespace.com. You can sign up, get your free account. You don't need a credit card. Try it out. Start building your website. Then, if you decide that you want to keep it, you're in love with it, just use the offer code TWIP8, that's WIP8, and get 10% off for six months. That's Squarespace.com, and use the offer code twip 8 and get 10% off. All right, guys, it's time for listener Q&A. This is a segment where our guests answer questions that come in for our audience via our website, our new forums, by the way. Our forums are back up. Um, our Flickr group, 
um, etc. On basically online, wherever you happen to interact with TWIP, you know, send our send you send us your questions, and we will culminate them here or put them together here and answer them. Question number one is from Derek, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his last name. Zedanet. Thank you. Say that again. Zedanet. Thank you. All right. David, what he said. And uh, his two-part question is, how does color depth relate to, number one, camera CPU bit width, hmm, um, and number two, to dynamic range? And is JPEG still adequate for those days when, or, or should we be using for some other format to display photos with a wider dynamic range? Now, Tristan, since you know how to pronounce his name, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and tell us? <laughs> I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> since you're Mr. Smarty Pants, I'm Mr. You know, Diction on the show, go ahead and... <laughs> it's a common name here. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's Smith and Afrikaans. Yeah. Um... I um, must be perfectly honest with you. I don't know quite how to answer this. Um, you know, I've uh, there's a, I've read a number of articles around you know 14 bits and and you know all the benefits and that. Um, and ultimately, um, the the kind of conclusion I've come to is that you shoot for the maximum information that you possibly can to get the best um, best end result. Particularly if you're someone who enjoys you know sitting behind a computer and, and processing your images. So, you know, ideally, if you can shoot at at 14 bit or whatever your your camera's ca- maximum is capable of. Um, and shooting in RAW will provide you with the best dynamic range, the best information to be able to achieve the results that, that you may want to um, or envision achieving in post-processing. The more technical side of it, uh, I must be honest, I, I can't quite give you that kind of, of information. Um, I've, yeah. yeah. What about so, the second part? So is JPEG – let's just, just answer that, that piece quickly. JPEG or, or should they be using some other f- format? You know, that's JPEG a, That's a is, tough one, isn't it? That's, that's still tough. We, we, have that, we have the discussion, or at least we did a couple of years ago, about JPEG versus RAW and yes. all that magic. Um, I think it was put to bed because, you know, if, of yeah. course you're going to shoot RAW. Um, so I think the answer to this is – you know, you're you're shooting in raw. If I understand this question, question correctly, you're you're going to be shooting in raw, and what you choose to render that final image out is is dependent on where it's going to be displayed yeah. and, and the dynamic range you need. Is that right? Yes, that, I get that as well. From in terms of what what does the final output need to be for best displaying the images, and the, my my feeling is we don't really have many other options. You know, you if you've got the, the, the capacity to display images as TIFFs, then by all means, you know, display it as a TIFF. But, um, you know, ultimately JPEG is, is the most efficient method at this point in time for displaying images. Um, yep. It depends also on what, you, what your um, intention is to display it on. Are you looking at a digital photo frame or whatever the, you know, that, that is something that needs to obviously be looked at as well. Um, yeah. Around what you want to display it as, but for yeah, the widest, think, for the widest compatibility, def, right? JPEG, definitely, yeah. And oddly enough, there's still some some on some occasions I can open up a JPEG image on, say, for example, my tablet, um, and although it it says it's a JPEG, it it still won't. Um, open up the file. So, you know, there are still certain compatibility issues. And what I've found is that sometimes that has to do with the way that the image was processed and saved as a JPEG through Photoshop. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee that it's um, going to always work, but it's better than, say, any other format, which will more than likely be a proprietary format for, for certain things. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, this next question I'm going to throw to you, uh, Silarina. This is uh, from Christopher Krieger. He wants to know, is there a versatile light or flash that I could use for both portrait and macro photography? And he suggests, he's asking, is the Orbis ring flash an option? Yeah, it's it's an option. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, it's so hard to answer these questions concisely because it's like it, it depends. My knee-jerk reaction say, yeah, the versatile light's called the sun. Um, and if you, you know, you can do great things with diffuser discs and reflector panels, both for macro, um, you know, I shot horticulture for years and making, uh, cover shots of roses, for instance, I got to be really good at, so I totally get the lighting on a macro scale. I would say sincerely, if you're looking in the flash context, you know, a, a speed light, whether you spell it Canon's way L-I-T-E or Nikon's way L-I-G-H-T, and I don't know how Sony spells it, uh, Tristan. You can bail me out there, but... H-V-L-F. Um, yeah, there we go. Some code. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, like in the Canon's line, uh, if you're starting out a 430 EX2, um, which is about 250 bucks, um would do just fine. The SB600 and Nikon's line is probably going to be fine. It's really not so much about the light as much as it is about your understanding of light and your understanding of how to use it. The reason that Nikon and Canon, for instance, make macro lights is because guys who go photograph bugs and flowers and things like that, they like those dedicated lights so that you can create a key light and a fill light. There's typically two heads on them or there's a ring flash. Um, so that said, uh, you know, so a small speed light and, frankly, an off-camera cord, a little three-foot cord so you can move that speed light out of the hot shoe and create some usable uh, shadows as well. A ring flash adapter certainly might be an option, Um but for portrait work, ring flash is you know kind of a hipster sort of look that goes in and out of fashion. For macro work, it can it can be a benefit or not. One cool thing about the Orbis is that if you have a short off-camera cord, you can actually move that speed light out and use the Orbis ring flash adapter as like a giant fill source. Um, so to create a real soft light source, which works great for macro photography. Yeah, excellent. All right, guys, it's time for the picks of the week. This is a time of the show where each guest gives their pick, and this can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's somehow, some way related to photography. Tristan, I'm going to throw it to you first. What is your pick of the week? So many to choose from. Um, I have, however, going to go with the Sony Alpha A77. Um, more from the technological point of view than anything else. Um, I mean, it is a great camera and it, it definitely has been worth the wait. But I think the, the translucent mirror technology, the OLED viewfinder, um, it, those kind of things really set it apart and, and um, you know, are going to certainly make people take note of, of what's happening in that, that area and uh, start rethinking about how they, they treat them as a competitor. Um, so that that's, that would be my pick, the Alpha A77 or specifically, you know, the translucent mirror technology and the OLED electronic viewfinder it has are, um, are incredible. 
you know, Sony loves their capital letters, don't they? (laughs) Yeah. X-G-A-O-L-E-D-E-V-F, you know. Exactly, yeah. And the Sony A77, you know. Giving human names, you know, naming Bob. SLT-A77. I always drop the SLT off, but it stands for Single Lens Translucent because it's no longer a DSLR. It's now an SLT. Whenever I think Sony, I think of people, like really, really smart people running around in hyper-clean environments with white lab coats on naming things you know <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> tell, get a message to sony and say just to tell them to start naming things like bob or you know the new this is the new sony sill arena model you know yeah. <laughs> or like tiger and lion you know yeah, thank you something that i can remember i could know? never remember what lion and tiger are but oh well i know i'm glad that i hope they're at the end of the line on those things but um, yeah all right, so what's your what's your pick of the week? All right, hey, this is really easy for me. I'm going to give a big shout out to uh, Main Media Workshops, which is online at mainmedia.edu. I did a workshop there last week with 13 outstanding students. It was a speed lighting workshop, and I've got a showcase of their work going up. It'll be online by the time the show's uh, online on my site, speedlighting.com. Maine runs a great program. In fact, I told them that I wanted them to figure out a way to employ me for the entirety of next summer. (laughs) Um, I loved the pace of Maine. It's slow, like Paso Robles, but unlike Paso, it's cool there in the summertime. Um, Food was great and all of that. So they have amazing workshops throughout the year. And um, their summer season is just both for filmmaking and for still photography is an incredibly um, deep and resourceful program. So mainmedia.edu, a big shout. And again, thanks to all my students last week. Check out their work in the gallery on speedlighting.com. Excellent. All right, cool. And my pick of the week is something I already mentioned. Um, Again, I'm encouraging photographers out there, either you're pro or amateur or whatever, to go check out the book, The E-Myth Revisited. Um, Check that out. We'll link to it in the show notes um, or just Google E-Myth Revisited or go to iTunes or whatever. You can get it as a printed book or an audio book and check it out from Audible or iTunes. And it is um, it's awesome. It it will be an eye opener and kind of one of those things where you slap your forehead and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, so definitely check it out. It's uh, it's worth a listen or a read. All right. Once again, we're at the end of another episode of TWIP. Tristan Hall, where are you at and where where can people go to find out what you're up to and the things you're uh, you're you're you have going on in your world? Um, well, the best is photocomment.net um, or on Twitter at photocomment. They can find me on Facebook, Google+, and then obviously the new place where I'm at as well is alphatutorials.co.za. Yeah, that's good. You're busy. You are very yeah. busy. That's good. <laughs> Thanks. That's only <laughs> the photographic-related stuff. So. I know. I know. I can't imagine. Uh, still a reason. Still a reason. I love, I love that. that. Yeah. See, serendipitous. It's yeah. a happy accident. Still a reason. Yeah. Still arena. What are yeah. you up to? All right. So, um, if you're interested in light, lighting, flash, all those kind of things, check out my site, speedlighting.com. Spelled Canon's way with uh, no G H. It's L I T I N G. Uh, I've got a new portfolio site up online at Sil Arena. S Y L A R E N A dot com. Workshops are online at Paso Robles Workshops. And I'm also on Twitter. So look forward to uh, conversing with you out there in the Twittersphere. 
Awesome. Perfect. And if you'd like to keep up with everything going on in the TWIP universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Google Plus profile, our Facebook fan page, our Twitter profile, and oh so much more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com, my Google Plus page at fvj.me slash plus, or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. <laughs>